Yes, it's like 100 miles to Chicago. It's dark, we're wearing sunglasses. We got a half a pack of cigarettes, let's go. I got that totally wrong, but it's something like that. In the movie, uh, cigarettes bad, don't smoke those. But other than that, we're on a mission from God. And this verse is our theme verse for the year. And this is our theme for 2018. The verse is, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere to the ends of the earth. This is our mission. Here's one of the big problems with Christianity in America today. Too many Americans, too many people who call themselves Christians think it's all about consuming Christianity, consuming spirituality. See what I can get out of it. That's missing the point. It's certainly what God gives to us, but it's also what God wants to do through you. And the exciting thing about our theme this year is it's going to be a discovery. For you as an individual part of this church, whatever campus you're at right now listening to this sermon, and for us collectively together as a congregation, to discover what God wants to do through us, to discover what it is that God can do through us and will do through us. The Hope 360 video that you saw at all the campuses already earlier in the service emphasizes kind of the thing that we're moving toward. We had this Advent project where we set this audacious goal of giving $200,000 in just over, well, Advent is four weeks, but this year because of the calendar, it was more like three weekends. And so we thought $200,000 is going to be a lot of money for a project in Africa that's kind of difficult for people to get a hold of, that it's going to help girls who are refugees from the South Sudan who fled to Uganda for their lives. They're not fleeing because they just want a better life. They're fleeing because they're going to die if they stay home. And so they're going to this place and they're the most vulnerable and the most persecuted of all of the different demographic groups that could possibly be there as refugees. And so we're going to reach out to them first through our mission partner that we've had for over a decade. We let you know about that. We prayed, we hoped that we give $200,000. Here at the West Des Moines campus, we had these stars up over on the walls signifying each of the empowerment communities you were building. Do you know why we took them down? We ran out of stars. You gave over a half a million dollars, over $500,000 to this ministry and to this mission. Hope, listen to me on this. You're changing the world. You're making the world a better place because of your generosity, because of what God is doing through you. To be on a mission from God means to discover over and over again, God, I want to see what you can do through me. I want to see what you can do through us. I want Christianity to be what the Bible says it is. Not just me consuming spirituality, but me being the body of Christ and a part of that body, reaching out to the world around us to share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. So it's twofold, this mission. It's to meet the needs of people who are hurting in the world around us. That's locally and globally. It's not either or, it's both and. But secondly, it's meeting the spiritual needs of the world around us. We live in a culture where people in North America and in Western Europe particularly, where people are drifting away from God. I'm not okay with that. I hope you're not okay with that. I hope your attitude isn't, well, if they end up in hell, what do I care? How is that Christ-centered? How does that represent the one we follow? Because that's what's at stake. People facing an eternity apart from Jesus Christ. And we have a mission to share the good news with them, not to beat them over the head with it, not to use guilt and compulsion and all those things the Bible says not to use, but to invite people to come and see. Who have you invited lately? To fill up one of the chairs in whatever venue you're in right now, whatever Hope Campus you're at right now. Who have you invited lately to fill up one of these seats? 
Who have you invited lately to come and meet Jesus Christ in his house? That's a part of our mission too. See what God can do through you. You're gonna celebrate the people who you lead to Christ for the rest of your eternal life. How many people will be in heaven because you invited them to meet the savior of this world? How many people will have an eternity, their destiny completely changed because you had the courage and the faith to see what God could do through you, to plant seeds of faith, to invite them to your small group, your life group, to invite them to worship, to invite them to the Alpha Course, which Alpha Course, easy for me to say, which starts next Sunday, which is a great place to start or to restart for those of you who've just been apathetically kind of putting your faith on cruise control for the last few years. It's time to wake up. It's time to find the new life that God promises in this new year. We are on a mission from God. That's where we're going. And the power doesn't come from within. It's not, oh, we're going to do this because we're really nice people. It comes from outside of us. It's not internal, it's external. It's the Holy Spirit. You'll receive power not from tapping into the power and potential inside of you like some self-help guru, no offense, but that's not very much power. We're talking about the power of the creator of the universe. We're talking about the Holy Spirit who wants to empower you with something more than you'll ever find inside of you. He wants to give you life, a better way, a deeper truth, a more abundant life so that you can be fed and so that you can feed the world around you as well. We're on this mission from God. Throughout this year, we're gonna be focusing in on biblical texts and sermons based on those texts which point to this story. We're starting with the first book of the Bible, which on all sorts of levels is all about mission. It's the book of Genesis, and it is a binge-worthy Bible book for sure. So during the first six weeks of this uh, year, we're doing this sermon series called the Binge-Worthy Bible Series. We're gonna look at different uh, binge-worthy TV shows. How many of you have ever binged on a TV show? Let's confess, let's be honest to God here today. That's almost all of you. What's your problem? <laughs> I always thought I was above it, and then like eight years ago, we got Netflix, and we started watching this show called Mad Men, and I watched the first one, and I was like, oh, it's okay, and then by the end of the first episode, I'm like, let's just watch one more. And then by the end of the episode, oh, let's just watch one more. Uh, it, because it always leaves you hanging, right? And then on Netflix, it gives you that little clock, 10 more seconds, and we'll just start it automatically. You don't even have to do anything. <laughs> We're just going to show you the next. You don't even have to move unless you want some more chips and dip or something. Just wait for it to come. We'll give you a whole nother hour of entertainment. And then it's three in the morning. You're like, just one more, just one more. <laughs> America, we have a problem. Seriously, in the first step is admitting it. But since we have the problem, why not embrace it on a certain level and use it for good so that the light can shine? So we're going to go through these series, going to do Breaking Bad, Arrested Development, Lost, This Is Us, The Crown, and Mad Men, and focus in on these stories in Genesis, which with all due respect to well-written and well-produced, binge-worthy TV series that you can get on Netflix or Amazon or HBO, wherever you go, the book of Genesis blows them all away. Absolutely blows them all away. You want drama and action and adventure and life-changing episodes and cliffhangers? You want to put the fun in dysfunctional family? Read the book of Genesis. It is full of all sorts of very real life. If you think Genesis in the Bible is just some sort of pie in the sky, distant from us, has no relevance to us, kind of disconnect, you haven't read Genesis lately or you missed the point. 
And so for the next six weeks, I want you to dive into this first book of the Bible together as a church. And we're going to take a very close look at these things which point to who our God is, who we are, how we relate, how we connect this mission that God has given us and our condition as human beings. It all starts in the Garden of Eden in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. This is Adam in Hebrew. This is Eve or Hava in Hebrew. In English, Adam means Adam. In English, Eve means Eve. But in the original Hebrew, and Genesis was written in Hebrew, get this, Adam means man or mankind, humankind. In the Hebrew, it actually means both male and female. It means anyone and everyone. It means a human being. Eve, in the original Hebrew of the original text in Genesis 3, means life or giver of life. And so if you put Adam and Eve together, what you literally have in the original Hebrew is a story about human life, about anyone and everyone. Yep, it's the story of the first two human beings who were there in the Garden of Eden, that's for sure, but it's also the story of you and me if you have a human life. It's the story of us. It's not just us looking back to what happened once upon a time. It's us reading a story, which is a very powerful metaphor for our condition and how we got here and what we need. Namely, we need a savior. And so this story from the Garden of Eden ultimately points us to the cross of Jesus Christ and our desperate need for it. I know that when anybody teaches or preaches about Genesis, in this country, for some reason, the first thing a lot of American Christians think, or non-Christians from the outside looking in, is, well, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is about when God created the universe, and Adam and Eve, and the human race, and everything else, and uh, how long it took, how long those days were. That's really what it's all about. And that's always baffled me. Because I think anybody who's like in third grade and can read and can kind of interpret what they're reading, even on the basis, most elementary level, would read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and would say, that is so not the main point of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. It's really not at all about when. And it's not really at all about how long those days were. What it's really about, the main point, is the main point. And so that's what we're going to focus on here today. At the page two Bible study on Tuesday night, I'll dive in deeper into the debate and why some people think this and other people think that about when and how long and all these things and the things that get people all kind of worked up and divided even as Christians. It's too bad. Because anybody who reads Genesis 1, 2, and 3 would have to say the main plot, the main point is about a good God who created this universe and how we as human life, Adam and Eve, have fallen away into original sin from the paradise that God created for us. And that, better than any story ever written, describes our condition and why we face the challenges we face and why we need the Savior that we need and his cross and his empty grave. Isn't that fascinating that a book that was written thousands of years before Jesus even showed up points us to the cross of Jesus Christ and the story all comes together even though it wasn't written all together. Talk about a binge-worthy series. It all starts here with human life, with Adam and Eve, with you and me in this paradise where there was no shame, there was no sin in the Garden of Eden, and there was no death. That's heaven. That's what heaven will be. And so where we are now is somewhere in between Eden and heaven. 
And we're waiting for God to restore. We're waiting for the kingdom to come. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're waiting to go back to a place. No sin, no shame, no death. The life that God intended for us at the beginning of creation. But we chose a different path. Human life did. We fell away from this good God and his paradise and his good creation. The fall, the Bible says, comes as a consequence of pride. Pride comes before the fall. In the message translation of the original Hebrew, it says, first pride, Proverbs 16, 18, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Here's a, it's true. Here's a picture of the mountains where I grew up in northern Idaho for the first seven years of my life. This is the pathway that came along the side of the mountain. And my older brother, who's four years older than me and his friends, and my friends and I would go up on little hikes. And if we, if we stayed on the trail, it was very safe. And you could go up to the top and you could look down on the little town of Kellogg, Idaho and, and see everything down in the valley. And it was beautiful and it was fun. And it was kind of a boy thing to do, kind of adventurous. Well, my big brother and his friends started to navigate a new shortcut. I mean, can you see why they call them the Rocky Mountains? They navigated this shortcut up the steeper slope through the boulders, and it was kind of a dangerous way to go. And I thought, if my big brother could do it, I could do it. Only I was like four years old. And so I started going up the macho big brother route that my brother and his friends took. Pride comes before the fall, literally. And I got up somewhere around here, and I slipped, and I fell. I didn't just fall a little. I, fall, I fell all the way down to the base of the mountain. Probably about 50 yards, they estimated afterwards. Tumbled and rolled, not completely unconscious, head cracked open, rushed to the emergency room at the hospital. And on the way there, I said to my mom, Mom, is this heaven? Freaked her out. I mean, completely freaked her out. No, come back. <laughs> well, I'm here, so obviously... God had a mission, I guess, for me to fulfill. So I'm down there on the base of the mountain having fallen and I couldn't get up. First pride, then the crash. I can do what my big brother does. I can do what those older guys are doing. It's my pride that caused an injury that almost killed me, that I almost died from. Now that story is just a metaphor for us in our relationship with God and what Genesis 3 describes. Our pride comes before the fall, and the fall is into original sin. And the best definition of original sin, I mean, we could go for hours on this, so I'm just going to give you a simple one for now just to chew on. Original sin is you and me trying to be like God instead of under God. Instead of accepting our condition as not divine and human, we strive to become something that we could never be. That's original sin. Instead of being of God, we want to be as God. Instead of being created, we want to be co-creator. Let me put it another way. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, we say, instead of hearing that as good news, we say, I don't want to be a sheep. I want to be a shepherd too. I want to see what you see, God. I want to know what you know. I want to control what you control. I want to control my life. And when we fall a little deeper into it, our pride says, I want to control and manipulate some other people's lives too. I want to get on top of this. I, I want to know and have the power that only God could have. Now, it's not that we sit back and say, I want to be God. It's much more subtle than that. It's just the way we live. 
It's the drive in us, the desire in us, our sinful nature. We are by nature, biblically speaking, sinful and unclean. And we can't stop sinning. Paul says this in Romans 7. The good stuff I want to do, I don't always do. And it's the evil stuff that I don't want to do that I sometimes do. Wretched man that I am. What's the deal with that, Paul's saying? How come I do that? How come I I can't live the life that I know I'm supposed to live? Because we're human and we live in a fallen world. And we're original sinners. And the story of Adam and Eve is the story of human life. It's the story of you and me. And when they bite into the forbidden fruit, and by the way, it's not necessarily an apple. The Bible doesn't say apple. It just says forbidden fruit. It could have been an apple. It could have been a pear. It could have been a pomegranate. Who knows? But they bit into this fruit that Jesus says, this is the fruit you can't eat. On the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Because then you're trying to be me, God's saying. Then you're trying to know what only I can know. See, ultimately what it is, is it's a lack of faith. Original sin. It's saying, God, I don't want to trust you. I want to trust me. Or I want to trust others. Or I want to trust my money. Or I want to trust my hobbies or my passions. Or I want to trust the things I'm into. Or I want to trust other people. Or or I want to trust anything other than you. I don't want to surrender my life to you. Original sin. I don't want to give up control of the wheel. I don't want to be the co-pilot. I don't want to be in the back seat. I don't want you to be God. I want to drive. I want to do this life the way I want to do it. Frank Sinatra, oh yes, I did it my way. That's the life I want to live. But it's a lie. High school basketball coach always used to say that. He was on to us. We'd start telling stories, say, Ricky, how come you're late for practice? Oh, the car was, lie. Ricky, how come you didn't get your homework? Oh, well, you know, I was busy, I answered, lie. That was his one word response. We'd all kind of laugh, and then he'd hit us with it. Lie, how come you didn't box out on that rebound, Mike? Well, the guy had me pinned back, and he felt, lie. That's all he had to say, lie. It's a lie. And that's what original sin is, it's a lie that I'm going to find a better life in money or stuff or things or achieving my personal goals or tapping into the power inside of me, lie. It's a good lie, isn't it? It's subtle. It even, there's a part of you right now that's like, well, I don't want to give up all that. Do I have to give up all that? Yeah. If you want to find a deeper truth, a better way and a more abundant life, if you want to find the life you were created to live, you can't believe the lies. And you have to turn around and move in a different direction. So meet Walter White, who's a high school chemistry teacher in Albuquerque, New Mexico, as Breaking Bad season one begins. He's the most sympathetic character you'll ever want to meet as the story begins. He's having a midlife crisis at age 50. He's, He's just been diagnosed with lung cancer. He's got two years to live if he gets the chemotherapy. He's married, he's got a, 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 a child uh, who has cerebral palsy, a, a high school boy, and then they have a surprise baby who's on the way. And he's devastated. And he feels like he's been sleepwalking through his whole life, and now he's having this awakening. Now he's coming to life again. Only the way he comes to life is a lie. He's not awakening to good, he's awakening to evil that's always been a part of him. And he's starting to personify it and live it out. And he becomes a 
drug manufacturer of methamphetamines. He uses what, uses what he knows as a chemistry teacher to take life away from people. Meth kills people. It takes life away from people. And a lot of you know that because either you've battled it or you have a loved one who has. And so the people who make it are killing people. And the people who sell it are killing people. And people are dying. And so, well, see, what Walter says is, I'm doing this because I finally want to do something before I die. I don't want to leave my wife and my kids broke on my high school teacher salary. I have to do something more significant than that. And that's the lie. Because what he realizes is what he longs for is right there for him in his daily life. He's got family who loves him. He's got a job where he can actually minister and influence people who come into his classroom on a daily basis. He's got lights to shine. But it's tempting when the serpent comes along and starts to sell us his lies. That's what the devil is. He's a liar. That's what his name means, literally. He's the one who lies. He's the one who deceives. The devil comes to Eve and to Adam and says, did God say that you couldn't eat this fruit? Did he say you'd die if you do? And then the devil says, you won't die, lie. You will die. You will die if you fall away from God who is the source of life. If this is life, if this is God, and we're connected to God in the Garden of Eden, and we fall away from life and go our own way, we do it our way, well, we're going to die. Because we separate. It's not that God's killing us. We're running away from life. We're falling away from life. And so when the devil comes to Adam and Eve and says, you won't die, lie. That's the lie. You will die if you wander away from God. There is no life in that. There couldn't be life in us wandering away from the only one who can create life in this way. But the woman was convinced the temptation was big. The tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And so it was with Walter White at the beginning of Breaking Bad. The tree looks delicious. It, I know how to make this stuff. I'm a chemistry teacher. I can make the purest meth ever, 99.1% pure. And I can send it out there into the world and I can make mountains of money. I'm doing it for my family, Walter convinced himself. Lie. See, that's the justification. He justifies in his own mind, I'm doing this dark stuff, this evil stuff, and you don't have to be a drug manufacturer, a drug kingpin, in order to relate to this. All of us have things we're tempted to do, and then we justify them, and we say, yeah, but this is for the good of whatever, or this is only fair, or this only makes sense. This is just to get back at the people who did me wrong. This is just me venting. This is just me getting it as I, as I bash somebody's character. This, this is just what I'm doing. I just have to do it, you know? Lie. You don't. And when you do, it takes life away from others and from you. But it's tempting. The woman was convinced. See, the devil doesn't show up in a red suit with a pitchfork and a tail and say, hi, I'm the devil, I'm here to tempt you. Much more subtle than that. The devil slithers through our lives and says, hey, what you really need is this. This will make you happy. This will satisfy your soul. This will give you a lie. It's all lies. That's what the devil does. He tells us lies that sound good, that sound believable, that make us think we're waking up to the life we always wanted. Finally, I can be something. Finally, I can get that person back. Finally, I can do what I've always wanted to do. 
That's original sin. That's why it's a fall. That's why it hurts. That's why our world is so messed up. Walter meets Jesse, who used to be in his chemistry classroom in high school, and now is is out on his own, and he's dealing drugs, and they start this partnership. And interestingly, as this series progresses, we see Walter fall from the potential for light that he's been given as a teacher of influence and a, a husband and father who's loved and has friends who love him. He starts to give all that up for the pursuit of lies, for the pursuit of this world. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Meanwhile, Jesse is what you would think is almost like your stereotypical drug dealer. Only he goes from darkness to light and redemption and restoration as this series goes on. Now he loops around back and forth a few times and he falls back. But in the end, Jesse starts to break free. And he finds help in a church, in a recovery ministry like we have here at Hope for his addictions. And he starts to find the life that is true. But Walter and Jesse have this conversation in the pilot episode, season one, where Jesse kind of pins him with a really important question. Why are you doing this, Walter? It makes no sense. Take a look and listen for the lie. I'm awake, Walter says. That's the lie. That's the lie. And he's falling. He's falling. His original sin is breaking through. He's, he, he's illustrating Genesis 3, the Adam and Eve story. Because he's the worst kind of awake. He thinks he's waking up to life, but he's waking up to death. He thinks he's waking up to good, but he's waking up to evil. He's falling. He's tumbling down the mountainside, cracking his head open, going unconscious, losing his life. He's going to become a stealer, a manipulator, a betrayer, a liar, a killer, murderer, and responsible for the death of hundreds of people. Along the way, he's also going to become the most powerful drug dealer in America, the kingpin, the man with all the power and all the money to back it up. And he loses his life in the process. Listen, I'm not pointing you to this, this TV series because I'm recommending it. I'm not, I'm not recommending it, especially for kids. I do not recommend this series. It's very violent. It's very graphic. Not as violent as some other series that are out there, but it's pretty rough. But it, it's very dark, too. But what I like about this series is how realistic it is. Too many movies and TV shows these days glorify the lies. Glorify the, the, the drug life and, and, and the gang life and, and, the, and the life of crime and, and, and mob life and say, well, that's really where the excitement is. Lie. That's where the death is. That's where the destruction is. That's where the darkness is. Walter White in this series, Breaking Bad, shows us that. And that's the one thing I like the most about this series is the spiritual undertones that run throughout it doesn't give us a rose-colored picture of the consequences of this kind of life. It shows us exactly the dead end where it all ends. Walter ultimately ends the series <laughs> with nothing, with absolutely nothing, because that's where the lies lead, to destruction and to death. Vince Gilligan, who wrote this series, talks about these spiritual undertones. He says, it's, if there's a larger lesson to Breaking Bad, it's that actions have consequences. I feel, as the writer, some sort of need for biblical atonement or justice. I want to believe there's a heaven, but I can't not believe there's a hell. Interesting, a writer that good would use a double negative, but never mind that. 
This guy who won Emmys year after year after year after year for writing this series is saying there's something about biblical vengeance, about needing justice, but what he's missing and what you can feel missing in this whole series is mercy and the grace that would set Walter White free. He's so close to it. It's right there in his daily life, just as it is for you and for me. But the lies are so tempting. Sometimes it's hard to see it. Don't miss this. Walter, several seasons later, toward the end of the series, gets filled up with himself with even more pride in how powerful he is, and his ego takes over. And then he has this conversation with his wife where he tells her just who he is. Take a look. And right there, she knows she's lost her husband. She doesn't recognize him anymore. He's fallen so far. She doesn't even know who he is. He's so filled with pride and ego. He says, I'm not in any danger. You don't have to worry about me. I'm not the one who they're going to come and get. I'm the one who comes to get them. I'm the one who knocks. I'm the one who has that power that only God has. Famous verse in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, look, I stand at the door and knock. I'm the one who doesn't come to bring death like Walter White in the Breaking Bad. I'm the one who calls you to break good. I'm the one who stands at the door and knocks with the light of God's love, with the amazing grace of God poured out from heaven for you here today in the waters of baptism and in the bread and the wine of Holy Communion. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will change your life and I will show you a better way and I will tell you the truth that will expose the lies and I will call you to come and follow me and awaken to new life, new year, New life. Today would be a good day. Today would be a very good day to find that new life. Skylar and Walt, ultimately, a few episodes later, Skylar takes Walt on a field trip and asks him a very important question. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and if you fall in love with your money and you think that's going to give you life, lie. You'll never have enough. It'll never be enough. And what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose everything else, including his soul? How big does it have to be? How much is enough? When will this pile be enough to satisfy your soul, Walt? Breaking Bad is so well done. Even the colors, uh, I, I did a lot of research on it this week. Underneath the money, did you notice the thing that's holding it? The, the, the piece of material underneath it is red, symbolizing the blood that led to this money. And they're both wearing blue shirts, symbolizing they've both gone cold and icy in their lives and in their souls and in their relationships. And the scene you saw right before that, did you notice Walt's wearing a red shirt? And he takes it off and his t-shirt's even redder underneath it, symbolizing that he is falling deep into this darkness and the blood is on his hands. How much is enough? At what point do we not only expose the lies for what they are, but we turn around from them? See, that's my invitation for you today. That's God's invitation for us today. It's one thing to analyze these things and analyze the story in Genesis 3 of human life and Adam and Eve and the fall and, and get that all theologically correct and do the hermeneutics in the scriptures and, and put it all together and organize it and write outlines about it and put little notes in our Bibles. But at what point do we start applying it to our daily lives? At what point do we acknowledge 
These are lies that the world tells us, that the devil tells us, subtly, that we believe that ultimately suck life out of us and kill people around us and kill our relationships and kill our families and kill our dreams. They aren't what we were created to be. At what point do we say, these are lies, and not only am I going to confess that they're lies, I'm going to change. All of Scripture sort of tells this story. It's like you're riding on a horse in a meadow, and on one side there's an angel, and on the other side there's a demon, and they're fighting over you to pull you off the horse onto their horse. At what point are you going to decide which way are you going to fall? Which way are you going to, going to fall into death, into evil, into darkness, or, or ultimately fall into God's light? And when does that happen exactly? I was uh, thinking about this this week, and I was thinking, how can I illustrate this? And then it dawned on me. I looked down in my car, and there it was, this $10 hy V gift card. I say, what does this have to do with the original sin and the fall of humankind? Everything. <laughs> well, I don't know about everything. This gift card... I used for a loaf of bread once, and I still have, I don't know, seven, eight bucks left on the card. I don't even know anymore. Because it's been sitting in my car for seven years. <laughs> and every time I go to the grocery store, if I go to Hy-Vee, go to a lot of stores, but when I go to Hy-Vee, I, after, some, at some point afterwards, I think, ah, I forgot to use the gift card again. I even leave it in my car. I put it right in the middle of the dashboard so I can see it. Someday, I'm going to redeem this. I keep telling myself, someday I'm going to redeem this card. Someday I'm going to use this. It's a free gift that somebody gave to me. Bless your heart. Thank you. I will use it someday. I hope. When are you going to use the redemption that God pours down from heaven for you? When are you going to cash it in? Later, when you get through this phase of your life, when you aren't so busy, you do realize, right, that busyness is one of the devil's best tools. He doesn't need to make you an anti-God atheist. He just makes you, to need you, make you too busy for church and too busy to pray and too busy for the Bible and too busy for a relationship with him. That's all it takes. So you never redeem the gift. It just sits there on the shelf of your life. Behold, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. Open it up, let me in, redeem it, cash it in. Today's the day, the Bible says. Now is the time of your salvation. Right here, right now, new life in this new year. The waters of baptism are waiting for you at whatever campus you're at. The bread and the wine of Holy Communion are waiting for you right here, right now. Stop believing the lies. The psalmist cries out in Psalm 130, verse 7. Come on, Israel, turn to me. Hope in the Lord. Israel means the people of God. People of God, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there's unfailing love. His redemption overflows for you. Are you going to just keep thinking about his redemption? And just think, someday I'm going to get right with God? Today's the day. The scriptures cries out. And right before it says that, the scriptures say, Sleepers awake. Rise from the dead. Come to life again. And the way that happens, God says in the Bible, is through the waters of baptism and the bread and the wine of Holy Communion. Those are two of the most tangible ways you can experience it. And they're both available for you here today at Hope, whatever campus you're at. Next verse, next screen, please, Mary, and we'll close here. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to a path of peace.
It's not just about acknowledging the lies, it's about changing. At the end of Breaking Bad, the last episode of the last year of the series, Walt confesses to Skyler, his wife. He finally tells the truth about why he's been doing this. And it wasn't for his family. And he comes clean on that. But the heartbreaking sadness of his confession is instead of turning around and repenting and following a better way, he's proud of it. He's proud of his darkness. He's proud of his evil, which is why there's no life for him, even though he thinks there is. That's the worst lie of all, is to think that we can find life apart from Jesus Christ. And he offers it here for us, right here, right now. That's the saddest lie of all, <laughs> is that he thought it was a good thing, and it killed so many people. And it killed him, and it killed his family. And it killed the joy and the peace, which passes all understanding that God gives to you here. The free gift card that God gives to you is new life. It's eternal life. It's an untouchable joy. It's a peace which passes all human understanding. When are you going to redeem it? When are you going to do more than just think about it? When are you going to turn to it and say, yeah, I was made for this. I was made for more. It's not money and things and possessions and stuff and power and control and all the ways that we try to be God. It's accepting God as the one we trust and we put all of our faith and hope in and finding his love for us and our love for other people in the world around us. That's the good life. That's the full life. The sin of one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but the grace of God through one man, Jesus Christ, gives us triumph over sin and death. Victory. Cash it in. It's a free gift. It's here for you in the bread and the wine and the waters of baptism.